Hi, and welcome to Theatre Practice. I'm Miriam Weiner. This is a podcast where we practice how to be more connected, more mindful audience members. It's not about reviewing the piece. It's not about judging it. It's about gaining insights into it that will last long after the one time we saw the show. Joining me today is Erica Jensen. Erica Jensen is one of the co-owners of Caleri Jensen Davis Casting, and she's worked steadily in film and television and theater for over 20 years. In addition to her work in casting, Erica is a faculty member at the New School, where she teaches acting as a business and industry showcase, and also at the Tepper semester via Syracuse University, which is how we know each other. She's an industry mentor for graduate students at Brown Trinity Rep, and she was named American Theater Magazine's Top Theater Workers You Should Know in 2017. So thank you so much for being on my podcast called (laughs) Theater Practice. We're talking about Him by Lolita Chakrabarti. This is a production that was directed by Blanche McIntyre, and it was produced by the Almeida Theater. I watched it virtually March 7th. Do you remember when you watched it, Erica? I watched it on March 7th as well. It was a Saturday, right? Saturday? It was a Saturday, yeah. Yeah. 2021. Saturday, Uh uh-huh. It's a two-hander. It was featuring Adrian Lester and Danny Sapina. Him is a two-character play that takes place over the course of one year. We meet 49-year-old Benny the night before his father's funeral. But the thing is, his father abandoned Benny and his mother to focus on another family. So this will be the first time Benny is meeting a family at the memorial service. After Gil's emotional eulogy recounting his father's grace, and ultimate success in navigating the difficulties of being a Jamaican immigrant in the UK, Benny introduces himself. Gil is at first incredulous that they could be brothers, given what he knew about his father, but he's open to the possibility that Benny might actually be his half-brother, and Benny agrees to take a DNA test. When the test confirms Benny's story, the two brothers tentatively begin to get to know one another. Benny and Gil begin spending time together and search for connection. Benny is cautious, quiet, and wounded from a difficult childhood. Gil is brash, funny, and daring. Gil is only a few months older than Benny, but he calls Benny his little brother. They bond over shared experiences of music, the challenges of raising children, and racism. They find that their strengths and weaknesses complement each other, and they feel more comfortable and seen with each other. Gil has the idea they should go into business together, and Benny, who has a less stable financial life, is cautiously excited by the possibility. The plan grows, but it spins out of control when Gil is swindled and loses all their savings. Benny is surprised and angry, but Gil is devastated and lost. He takes his own life, And the play ends with Benny giving an emotional eulogy for his found and then lost brother, Gil. So what would you add to that? I would also add that it's a love story, a love story between two Black men that we don't typically see anywhere, really, between these two brothers, where the focus isn't 
necessarily on their race, which I think is an important element in the play. I agree. I went into the play watching it after reading the piece in the New York Times. And I thought, oh, there's going to be a lot about race in here. You know, I think I was pleasantly surprised that the focus was very much on their relationship. There were bits where we see some bits of their blackness and being out in the world and how they are treated by some interactions. I thought there was one moment where they're having lunch or breakfast and they're not getting service, like the service is taking a long time and the waiter or the, or the manager of the restaurant starts to accuse him of being angry and he really backs off and says, no, I'm not angry. And that struck me as something that, you know, as a black man, you have to be very careful of, of being angry in front of white people. There were those little moments in the play where their race is definitely highlighted, but again, not the primary focus. Yeah, I guess race was an element in their world. Like in the second half of the play, when Benny talks about his son being part of the movement and Black Lives Matter protests, that it's an aspect of the world they're navigating. Mm-hmm. But their this play mm-hmm. is about the love they have and how they share those moments and use each other as support. That moment that you talked about with Benny's son, one of the things that struck me about that too is just the generational difference and the response. You know, his son is out fighting for change and fighting for the world to be different, and Benny is scared for him. And so their relationship is a little tense because Benny is fearful and wants to protect his son, and his son wants change. And Benny, being who he is, it makes sense that he might not be as politically forward as maybe his son. And I thought what Gil says to him is so beautiful. I Almost like a balm for anybody who has a child right now or doesn't recognize the world quite in the same way that, that you thought when he says, that's what we wanted for them. We wanted them to change the world, not to change themselves. Right, right. What a great, beautiful way of approaching people of another generation, really. Yeah. We're going to do the Eleanor Fuchs modified exercise where we say an image from the beginning, an image from the end, and then a gateway image that comes in the middle that is necessary to go from one to the other. Okay. Okay. What were your images, Erica? Okay. Well, my first image, what really struck me right at the beginning was just the empty stage and the single piano the stage is very long and completely empty. And then there's a piano. The end image that struck me, one of the images that came at the end, Gil writing his monologue right at the end, where he's basically writing a letter to Benny. And he pulls out the envelope and he writes Benny's name on the envelope. And then my middle image is that wonderful scene where they put on the costumes and like have the, I mean, that was amazing. That was just so joyous. And the two of them putting on these costumes and dancing to, you know, getting jiggy with it. <laughs> and um, and so all this funny. Stuff. So funny. And just such a wonderful way to show these two men bonding. 
And, you know, I looked up their ages and we're the same age. <laughs> so the song references, I was like, yeah, you know, I was like, yes. <laughs> it was All a great, it was a great centerpiece for the, that was my middle image too. Cause yeah. it felt like it was a time travel. They wanted to have a childhood together. Right. And it was like, they, they put on costumes to be like children again, teenagers. Right. And the music was like so delightful and their dancing was so great. And they were like leaving it all on the dance floor for us, for each other. And the costumes, like a transformation. Yeah. I loved it so much. I just thought that also occurred to me, like thinking about what they missed by not being able to grow up together and not knowing about each other because they are the same age. They have the common songs. And I love that they knew all the words to all the yeah. songs. And, they had this and, that, and it was believable. Very. You know, those songs from a certain time of life are the ones that are in your head. And they could access that. And that gave them this bridge to have a common experience. Mm -hmm. You know, the beginning of the play felt like, will they find each other? Will they be able to navigate this uncomfortable truth about the father and the different ways they grew up in? And then the centerpiece is like, they do, they have it. They can access it and they choose to access it, which yes. I thought was such a beautiful tool of the play to give them. Right. Yeah. That was one thing that I thought was also unique about the play is their willingness, the way the playwright wrote it. Lolita Chakrabati, who is yeah. married to Adrian Lester. Did oh, I know didn't that? know that. No. Yeah. I discovered that today when I was preparing. <laughs> oh, that's a fun tidbit. Yeah. Yeah. She said that she based it on observing him and his family. So that's why she felt like she could write the play. And so- oh. Yeah, it's really, really great. I was expecting, I think, from the play for there to be more of a build up to them trying to figure out how to have a relationship or more of a rejection, maybe like more of like, especially on Gil's part to reject Benny. But that didn't happen. There seemed to be some resistance, but it seemed very much from early in the play that there was a willingness to connect, which again, something I really responded to their willingness to get to know each other. And it also spoke to, I think, how they were both broken. I think that's such a good point because it felt like it's a two-hander. It's just these two actors. And yet the father is totally a character in it. Right. And we, we start with that first eulogy that Gil gives where he describes him as a hero and he had so much grace and he saw the world in a very poetic way. And he was an aspirational figure for mm -hmm. Gil. But Benny comes in and all of a sudden complicates this idea of the father. Right. And then that complication leads to us understanding that this father was like a difficult person. Mm -hmm. And Gil felt frequently put down, not trusted, irresponsible in his presence, which kind of leads to maybe the downfall of that character. It felt like it was a welcome acknowledgement that the father wasn't everything that maybe he put out into the world. And that right. made it easier for Gil to say yes to Benny. I was going to say my images, my images are Benny being thrown out of the bar at the very beginning. He's startled. He's upset. He's holding the bottle of liquor. He's kind of juiced up and he's trying to decide whether or not he's going to take this step. He says, she laid it down. Now will I pick it up? And we come to understand, I think, that he's talking about the relationship with the father. My middle image was the same as you when he puts on the blue sequence like wrap outfit. Mm -hmm. And then the final image was him giving the eulogy for Gil mm -hmm. where he's dressed in a suit 
And when I did this, I was like, oh, I think maybe it's about Benny. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's a two-hander, but I think it's Benny's transformation and like full acceptance into this family and sort of a legacy because Gil ends his life. I was like, okay, if it's about Benny transforming, he goes from being very cautious Mm -hmm. and nervous and anxious to even sort of dip his toe in the water of taking a chance. And at the end, I felt like more was open to him. He was a more open maybe not risk-taking in the same way Gil was, but he saw that those were qualities that maybe he could access. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was kind of beautiful, that eulogy at the end when he reads the note. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was was really beautiful. I agree with you. Now that you've laid out your images, that's given me a really different perspective on it. Benny is the one who seems to have more of the arc, you know, of the developmental journey. You think that it might go one way, (laughs) but with Gil committing suicide, Benny becomes part of this family in a different way. And I loved how he talks about Gil's sisters, who are also his sisters, and thanks them. That was also interesting. Listening to Gil's perspective on his family, on his sisters, he seemed to have a challenging relationship with them where, you know, they were the same as the father seemed to sort of put him down and they were more successful and also maybe a little bit more critical of Gil, at least in his interpretation. But then listening to Benny in the eulogy talk about how welcoming they'd been and how they'd embraced his children, it just offered a different perspective and like his relationship with his sisters versus Gil's relationship with these women that he grew up with. And maybe these women could be kinder to Benny because they didn't grow up with him, because they'd only recently gotten to know him. That sort of deepened the play, having referencing those relationships with people that are not on stage. Firstly, I love that one of them was named Sweetie. Yes. <laughs> uh, great name. Why didn't I think of it? Right. I completely agree with you. There was something about being seen by someone who is your family, whether you knew it or not. And their vision of you can be more generous and more open and a process of discovery. And I think falling in love is a great way to describe it because Benny didn't think even to question Gil's ability to start a business and do exactly what he said and what a gift it it was to Gil. The sisters and the family were wrong to say that Gil was someone that had trouble sticking with commitment, but to be seen as somebody who could follow through is huge. And Benny, a new set of eyes on you can be like the most pleasurable, supportive thing. Right. He said in the eulogy that Gil was incredibly supportive of his children. And there were small moments where Gil, he brought over drawing things for one of them and he got another one a job and he he really saw the kids in a way maybe Benny wasn't able to either, mm-hmm. which I, it was, it was a real give and take. Mm-hmm. They were real people, but they were really trying to be there for each other. And I also thought it was just so generous of this whole family to be like, let's make more of us instead of keeping someone away. Yeah, very much so. I will share that my grandfather, who is a wonderful man, (laughs) you know, to me, because he was my grandfather, he had other kids outside of the family. And 
my mother would talk about like going to the grocery store and somebody approaching her who would look like her dad and say, Hey, I'm Michael. (laughs) And your father was my father. And this happened, you know, like more than once. (laughs) And my grandmother embraced them and has, you know, brought them into our family. I don't have a relationship with my grandfather's other children. I don't have that kind of relationship. It's not the way it is in the play. But as I was watching the play, I thought about that a lot. I thought about the, it's like what that, what happens when other family members are revealed to a family. I think in the play, one of the things I thought that made it more possible was that all the parents were dead. Yes. I think that's helpful. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the play will inspire you to have a dance party with some of them, with some of yes. those halves. Yeah. <laughs> well, in that scene, he says, you're the best part of dad. And so it felt like a year of great sadness because it's a passing of a whole generation. He got something back through this surprise brother. I mean, I did wonder, was it too easy? But I was sort of glad it was easy. The idea that there could be imperfect but generous people is just really useful right now to me. Yes, I agree. To the extent to which I, I would expect that to happen. I wondered also, is this a little easy? But then I decided I need some easy right now. (laughs) Right. I want to go on this. I want to go on this journey. And the pacing of the direction gave us the sense that, okay, in the, in the gym, they're trying, but it's a little bit uncomfortable. And then we're moving through some different phases until the end when we're like, oh my gosh, they really came to love each other. So I think they were trying, they, they sort of shaped that in there in the in the production. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the way they used music? I loved the music. It was funny because Papa Was a Rolling Stone came on. And as I was thinking it, one of them said it like, it's a little on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes. And Lean On Me was another song that was there. And again, a little bit, a little on the nose, but fun to hear. And then their whole dance party. I wrote down what's going on. Yes. Yeah. Steady, ready. Mm-hmm. Down here on the ground, the George Benson song. Yeah. They were sort of throwback songs to maybe things their father might have put on. Mm-hmm. Or Gil's father. Or I guess we should just call him Augustus. Things Augustus might have listened to that sort of seeped into Gil's mind. Mm-hmm. And then Benny, who just had a more, I, I don't know whether it was his physical presence or the fact that the play was having me focus on him. He was like a patriarch, mm-hmm. you know? And so even though Gil called him my little brother, it felt like he was looking up to Benny. Mm -hmm. as a more authentic version of like what he could be. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if the music was kind of like trying to get us into that headspace for Gil. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That was a question I had. Mm -hmm. What Could the music have been more specific or was I not picking up on what they wanted me to do with it? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I just saw it as... Because they did have some throwback from like maybe when they were little, little kids, like in their dad, like maybe their dad's taste you know, what Gil's father's, what Augustus taste may may have been, what they maybe grew up listening to. But then it also kind of moved into what they would have listened to when they were teenagers, maybe, or even younger. I'm trying to remember when, again, I keep going to get in jiggy with it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to remember when that song came out. I feel like the references to some of the songs that were more 
at a time when they would have been able to like decide what they wanted to listen to, what they were drawn to. And the fact that they had so much of that in common of those songs. And of course there are popular songs, but there's a world where maybe Gil was listening to not that. <laughs> right. Or Benny was listening to or jazz. Jazz or yeah, you know, but you know, they're both had like that same sort of frame of reference in the same popular songs that they really enjoyed. And at- yeah. Oh, I like what you're saying. I feel like maybe then we should be thinking about that was the music they sang together. That was the music that was bringing them together. The other yeah. songs were sung separately alone. Mm-hmm. And yet they were sort of lingering artifacts from another time. So the music was meant to maybe be memory, like the way that we process it and have it, our associations with it. Yeah. In a way, it was like a memory play mm-hmm. where they're trying to create a new memory that they didn't have. Right. Like they're they're trying to... Again, going back to what you said before about them being able to play together when they, you know, they didn't get have that opportunity when they were younger. And now they have that opportunity and they're going for it. They're going for it. <laughs> yeah. What did you think about the way the actors came in where they had their COVID masks on? What did you think in terms of like the theatricality of that? I was struck by it. I know we've been doing this for a year, wearing our masks and... For it then to be brought into the theater, their acknowledgement that this is happening in the world and we are going to figure out how to do this play. And it's two of us on a stage and we're going to take our masks off to do the play and then we're going to put them back on when we leave the stage. I was really moved by it. And again, the reminder that we're still here. We're here with our masks, but we're still going to make art and we're still going to do this thing. And we've been tested twice a week. The audience is at home. We're not doing it in front of live in front of people, but we're still going to put everything into it. We're still going to put our full selves into this. Also in the scene where Benny talks about his son being in trouble with the police, Mm -hmm. there was something that felt connected to the mask wearing. Like, as you say, there's a world outside this world. We're hoping that we can change the world Mm -hmm. and we don't have to change. And it sort of felt like, were they giving us a little piece of that also with how they were performing the show for us? Do you, when you're watching a show, are you thinking about casting? The only time it really hits me hard is, there are two times when it hits me hard. It hits me hard when it's really perfect. And then it hits me hard when like maybe somebody is not in the same world. Like when I can think of an idea of somebody who could have maybe landed the character differently in a way that may have served the piece better. I'm more into watching the whole thing. I don't, I don't usually get caught up in sort of this choice or that choice. I can, but I just find like, I think I'm just trying to hear what the people are trying to tell me and accept it for what it is and then talk about that. I think is sort of my strategy at this time of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The three images of like, okay, there's Benny being thrown out of the bar. Mm-hmm. There's Benny trying on this costume of the eighties and having a brother. And then Benny giving the eulogy for this brother. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of feeling like the title of the play, him. Mm-hmm. Is that really, and I guess it's also on my mind because it's the year 
anniversary of the pandemic and a hymn is something that you're using to praise or to memorialize or to find a deeper, higher meaning or the harmony that they talk about between them. Mm -hmm. And the play feels like it's Benny's hymn to his brother. I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I love that. And he says also like, I'm not, I'm not going to read something from the Bible. I'm not that kind of person. I'm going to speak from my heart. And then it feels like that is what the play is. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Yes. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, this is wonderful. It was so wonderful and healing to talk with Erica about him. To find out more about Erica Jensen, you can follow her at Erica Jensen on Instagram and at Erica M. Jensen on Twitter. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Theater Practice. If you liked this conversation and would like to hear more like it, subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Theater Practice is produced by Miriam Weiner and directed by Diana Yanez. Special thanks to Micah Kelber, Latrice Smith, Gerard Everett, Marjorie Duffield, Greg Bellows, and Abel and Adam. <laughs>